Autopia is the safest of all superhighways. Here, future motorists learn good driving habits. Hey everybody, it's Randy Cardoon, and welcome to another edition of Talking About Cars. Everybody has a car story. You may not know the name Bob Gurr, but you do know his work. He designed the first cars at Disneyland's Autopia, as well as the monorail, and even some of the early trains when the place opened up in the mid-50s. Where did Gurr pick up much of his car design knowledge? I went to Art Center College starting in 1949, graduated with a General Motors scholarship in 1952. Due to a political fluke, I wound up at the Ford Motor Company after being paid and trained by General Motors. But I could see in 1952, uh, it was going to be kind of a dead end because in those days, you never designed a whole car. You were assigned to, as a new student, we'll do hood ornaments today, we're going to do hubcaps tomorrow. Not really a, a design job. So I left, came back here, formed my own industrial design company called Gur Design Incorporated, and one of my first clients was Walt Disney. Had this new idea, a amusement park, and they needed a body designed for a small chassis of a small car that was around the studio lot at, the, at the Walt Disney Productions, and Walt put me to work, designed the body for the car. Well, it turned out he assumed if I was going to design the body, I was also going to design the mechanical part. I'm not a mechanical engineer. I had no engineering training whatsoever. I just kept my mouth shut and kept designing. Everybody at Disney in those days, Walt, remember, he hired a lot of people, and there was no Disneyland in those days. Uh, everybody had to do and figure out what they thought Walt wanted. So I was just in amongst a group of people like that. Well, one thing led to another, and in a period of five years, Walt had given me about 60 projects, big ones and small ones, that went from first an Autopia car, then to the antique cars on Main Street, pretty soon a double-deck omnibus. By 1957, he wanted a small streamlined train called the Viewliner. Uh, and then pretty soon a monorail train, 1959. Now, the Viewliner train, it was built uh, of automotive parts because I was a car guy. I had auto shop in high school. Now, the clue about car people, how do they get to where they get? How do they understand uh, things about cars? It has to do with a characteristic Walt Disney had, which is endless curiosity. That curiosity, it's, it's almost like an inborn trait. You have it very, very early. Usually you understand it by about five years old. Something turns you on. Uh, you pay attention to it. Uh, it almost consumes you. Is there something you remember about yourself that made you think, you know, cars are going to be more than just these little toys I play with? It was cars and airplanes. By five years old, it was like the world is just full of this stuff that to me is personally so fascinating. That was the first clue. Then you follow that up with everything to do about cars and particularly mechanical stuff. You look at things, you go study things, figure out why are they the way they are. You know, people will do this music, they'll do it with architecture, but I did it with cars and I see a lot of other car guys that do stuff like that. Was it something that your parents drove? Let's say, what were they driving? Do you have a car story of maybe growing up and looking at a car your parents drove? 
Uh, my parents never had a car that that I would have looked at twice. So my, whatever my parents drove was not anything that inspired me. Everything else I saw on the road that we didn't have was the big inspiration. And of course, uh, this becomes a, a natural, almost a, a consumption. You want to know everything about everything. And of course, let's say by the time you're in high school, you've got to have a car. Well, it turned out I had a Model A Ford that had been in a wreck, and I had to put a new body on it, and I had to overhaul the engine. Well, it's very natural to learn how engines are built. How am I going to repair this car, overhaul an engine? You know, and one thing after another, pretty soon I knew how to do clutch jobs. You know, you learn a lot about cars because you're working on them. Now, guess what? We hop ahead to, say, 1957 in Disneyland. Walt wants a streamlined train. I immediately see it as a 30-inch gauge train. Okay, we got wheels on the bottom. Okay, I'm going to use some chop-down axles like off a dragster. Well, I'm going to use a Jeep transfer case. Or I can put two drive shafts on that. And uh, heck, I'll use a Chevy Power Glide because I thought the uh, Chevy 265 V8 was a really cool engine. It was more power than we needed, but I knew those parts. I saw how we could combine them, and by building a custom frame and then a custom body, we would have a locomotive and the, and the train behind it. But the tricky part was, I wanted it to look like the General Motors Aero Train with a wraparound windshield, be really, really streamlined. Well, why would I scratch build a vehicle like that? I could go to a junkyard, I could get a 54 Olds, because I knew the interior was designed such that it had a radio grill 14 and 8 inch wide, and I could swap the instrument panel right to left because trains are always driven from the right side. I went to junkyard, we bought a couple of those bodies, and we put a special front end on it. But we get the windshield, we get the doors, we get all this stuff, and I didn't have to design an engineer thing. Just do a typical uh, hot rod chop job. So what you're telling me, if I understand you correctly, is the first monorail was basically a 54 Oldsmobile that you basically did a lot of maneuvering to get into shape. Well, this was the Viewliner, which was just before the monorail. Oh, okay. All right, but you see, the the point is, Walt Disney wanted a streamlined train. I'm a car kid. I paid attention. I knew uh, stuff about stuff, and it came to mind immediately, here's what we do, and it's really fast and it's really cheap to do this. The little train, it was only there for about two years, but the design of that train led to uh, the monorail because it was a, a little bit bigger body, carried a lot more people. But you see, each one of these automotive jobs you learn more about everything as you're doing them. And as I'm, am I wrong remembering back to the original monorail that that had a lot of car touches, if you will, car design things that kind of worked? Yes, today if you look at uh, photographs of the original 1959 Mark One uh, monorail, it has a very Buck Rogers streamlined look, you know, pointy nose, big wraparound windshield, uh, splayed fins along the bottom. Uh, had a little bubble canopy on the top of it. But if you went around the back of it, you'd see the biggest 59 Cadillac taillights you ever saw on it. Uh, they were there for only a few months because when we'd back up the train in the barn, sometimes it would bang into the uh, bus bars and it would break. So they, they took them off. But anyway, it was a car styling thing as wild as a 59 Cadillac.
Bob, do you remember growing up? One was the what was the first car that really caught your eye as a kid? I think it was probably the Hollywood Graham of 1938 because it was a car that in those days grills sloped backwards. Well, the 38 Graham leaned forward just a little bit, and I thought, oh man, that is. That is, tomorrow's coming. And in fact, there was one at the market two doors down from our house, and I ran home to get my mother to take her down there to show her this 38 gram. And she looked at me like, what? <laughs> but yeah, certain designs, certain things about cars would, would pique your interest so strongly. Did you ever get a chance to get one of those? No, and, and a 38 gram wasn't a very good car, but it, yeah. uh, but it did have a, a certain kind of a look, and it was only for one model year they did that. Tell me of all the cars you had as a personal, you know, driver, uh, ones that maybe you've gotten rid of over the years. Is there any car you would have wanted back? Yes, I had a uh, 1971 Citroen Maserati SM which was the Motor Trend car of the year in 1972. Uh, I had one for uh, 35 years. I sold it eight years ago to a company called SM World. It's completely original. It only has 22,000 miles on it. And when you open the door, it still, still smells new inside. Uh, cars that are unrestored, even though they're fairly new, you know, 71 is still a fairly new car. An unrestored low mileage car is such a rarity, especially when it's a French car with hydraulic suspension. Everything's very complex in the car. But once in a while, I go up and visit this car and think, oh, I should have kept that one. It was too pretty. <laughs> What's in your garage now? I have uh, two very mundane cars. I have a Honda CRV because we keep it full of mountain bikes because I'm a mountain biker. I have friends that we mountain bike. How old are you again? 84. And you're a mountain biker? Yes. God bless you, sir. Yeah. And the other car, the other car is what I would call a Boulevard Deer, which is uh, the Lexus SC430. Uh, it's a car that um, some British journalists laugh at. Uh, but underneath that car, it's just strictly a, a Lexus GS, a little short chassis, but it's reliable. You just drive it, do nothing with it. It's a convertible, but it has a metal top roof, so I have a hard top coupe, uh, and it's beautiful walnut inside, saddle, and super dark blue. Uh, it's a sweet little car, but it's it suits uh, old ladies and old men very nicely. Let's go back to the Autopia. I remember I'm that in that age group that was able to go back there when it first opened up, and and the design and the sweeping open mouth grill, or, you know, that that was there. Was was that actually designed after any specific car of the year? Interesting that you should ask. If you look carefully at any photographs, which you can find on the Internet, of the original Mark I Autopia car, there was a custom version one of those that didn't have any wraparound bumpers. It was one I built uh, custom for uh, Walt Disney. Same body exactly, but it had a little windshield on it. It had uh, um, 56 uh, Pontiac bumper bars for the bumper front and rear, so it was very simple. And special uh, custom uh, wheel covers with little uh, knockoffs on it. Uh, very pretty little car, 
but if you look at the styling of that car and you knew the cover of Road and Track a little earlier in 1955, there was a, um, a Ferrari, I think it was a Scagliati bodied Ferrari, had a little a sculptured side, simple headlights and a very simple grill, but everything was a very soft set of shapes to it. Uh, that car was a yellow car. I never saw it again. Some lady in Beverly Hills had it. I never knew a thing about it, could never find anything about it. But I took a look at that, and I said, that is the one body shape that you could make a small car for an amusement park that an adult could get into and not look stupid, and a child would sit in it, and the scale fits exactly. So, yes, I flagrantly stole something right off a custom-bodied Ferrari because it was the exact style that would fit that size car. Wow. That car today is in the Walt Disney Family uh, Museum in San Francisco. The original Autopia car or the ladies' car? No, the original uh, Autopia car, the number one car uh, of the original uh, Mark I design that was custom-built for Walt. Later, we modified it for his first uh, grand grandchild. His name was Chris. We modified it, put a reversing transmission in it, and then it went through two uh, slight res um restorations and it now sits safely in that museum how great would it have been though to find that original ferrari you were looking at well that's that's the mystery uh nobody ever seemed to find out whatever happened to that car uh i think it was uh, similar to a uh, melia miglia style uh very few uh very few bodies uh, were built by that that builder on that style we were talking about cars you've had cars you've wish you could have back. Is there a car out there nowadays that you would really love to put into your garage, money not being an object? You know, that's a tough question to answer because it's hypothetical, first off. And then you're torn between uh, current production cars. Um, but at the same time, you know, these are production cars, even if it's the new uh, the new Mercedes Coupe. Well, what if we expanded it to like cars from the past that you haven't had that you would like restored or some old classic car that you would like in your garage? I would probably like to have my old Ferrari Lusso back. I had a Ferrari Lusso for seven years. Another car I should never have sold. Lusso around, but it was enough of a good car. Number one, it's a Ferrari. It's red. It's simple, and it's sleek, and mechanically, it's a very simple car. There's nothing complicated about the car, and it drives fabulous, and the best part, it sounds terrific. It's a V12. You put the windows down, and you try to find tunnels to drive through at 3,600 RPM. I've got to ask you, Bob. We've talked about cars, your personal cars, the Autopia cars. How did all this, and of course the monorail, how did all this come to you designing Lincoln? And I'm not talking about the car. I'm talking about the movable man and the whole thing. Well, interestingly enough, there's two Lincolns. When I was the Ford Motor Company, I was a designer in the Lincoln studio, and some of the 1955 uh, Lincoln, uh, I designed some of the parts on that car. So that was a car Lincoln 
Now, Walt Disney would ask people to design things even though you had never done that. That was a characteristic he had. He wasn't interested in what you'd done. He was interested in what you might do next. And he had a sense about what people might be able to do. And he came to me one day, a bolt out of the blue, and he says, we've got an a animated Lincoln we've been working on for a year, and it does not work. I want you to take a look at it. Now, I want twice as many motions and half as much weight. And I'm not even good at uh, human physiology. I didn't pay any attention to that part when I was going to school. But I, I was a quick learner, and in about 90 days, I uh, came up with a concept of the mechanical uh, body of this Abraham Lincoln, not the hands and not the head, because the other guys were working on it, but the whole body structure, including all the motion parts in it. And it all had uh, uh, pneumatic servos, a few hydraulic cylinders, and then uh, handmade all the drawings, passed them out to the draftsman to uh, make the bits and pieces, uh, 90 days to, to do that whole thing, and the doggone thing worked fabulously. But you had to be a fast learner uh, to be able to do that. Now, that leads to the fact that, yes, uh, while I was doing cars, as time went on, Universal says, we want a 30-foot-tall animated gorilla. Or Steve Wynn in Las Vegas says, I want to sink a ship on Las Vegas Boulevard in front of a hotel. Or you have David Wolper with the uh, Olympics at Los Angeles. Well, I want a 50-foot flying saucer to fly over the L.A. Coliseum. You see the commonality? Somebody says, I need A, and then they say what it is. But if you've been curious all your life and you will want to learn about stuff, you get the job and then you go find out how to do it. That's a universal trait that a lot of people have, and that's what I did. When you look back at your career, is that basically the common line? You're a car guy, but it hasn't been about cars per se. It's been about challenges. I wouldn't call it a challenge from the standpoint that a challenge implies you can't figure it out. It was the other way around because I was curious about stuff and, you know, and had a lot of life experiences. It was more of a thing like, see, do you know how many ways there are to sink a ship? So the problem, or the challenge, if you will, was, okay, now which one would I pick to do it? Uh, that was That's kind of the standard thread that I ran across, and I see a lot of other people do that. It was never a case of, oh, that's a challenge. What are we going to do? No, it's like, oh, that sounds so cool. Do you know how many ways to do that? Well, let's get cranking on the one that looks like the best scheme to do. Uh, you mentioned you were with Lincoln in the mid-'50s. Did you have anything to do with the Futura at all? Uh, not the Futura, but that was one of the cars that was a, a show car. I just thought that was cool. It was lavishly long and stupid looking, but it was so spectacular. Uh, there were several uh, concept cars at Ford at that time that were really, really, really interesting. Uh, I wish I, in a way, I could have stayed at Ford and be invited to do uh, concept cars. But no, I was asked to do hood ornaments and headlamp bezels, and that was it. If you were still in the car industry today, would we be seeing different kind of cars out there now than that are out there? I'm not so sure, because you got to remember, car design was very free and open, particularly uh, mid-50s all the way up to about, oh, say mid-60s, something like that. 
automotive regulations begin to creep in during that period of time in which we now have so many aspects of an automobile are extremely regulated as to do with window heights, headlights, lighting, airbags, every kind of thing. It's really tough for people to design something new, unique, and really spectacularly different and still fit the required government standards. Is there anything more you'd like to accomplish as far as your designing? Is there something in your mind, man, I really have to have time to be able to do one more thing and be this? You know, the one thing that um, I, I miss doing, I would have I loved to design the mechanical parts of a rose parade float. Just because the, the mechanics are crazy. Uh, every year there's some crazy new thing you've never seen. I've been over many times to the float builders and I go over there in the months prior to the, uh, the floats being finished so I can see the mechanical design and see how they do it. But nobody ever asked me, but that was, that's the last thing that's left. Disneyland engineer and designer Bob Gurr. Don't forget to check out all of our other Talking About Cars podcasts right here and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me next time as we have some fun talking about cars.